Logistics. All right. Hey, three, two, one. This is the Stastaniacs. I am Michael Vincent, and I have the distinct pleasure of having a bell ringer in the studio today. Zvi Schreiber, CEO at Freitos. You're the founder, no? Uh, I am, yep. All right. I mean, and it, you've been around actually about 10 years, but you just you you just recently rang the bell, right? How was that? Congratulations. Yeah, just six weeks ago. Um, yeah, it, it was uh, it was a fun ceremony for sure. Um, now we've got to you know get used to being a public company and uh, yeah, just gearing up for our first uh, quarterly results and earnings calls and yeah, so lots of uh, exciting new things to to get used to. It is. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good way of putting it. Let me ask you this. Is it like, you know, because I've been around, you know, and, and and hit like seed rounds and then series A's and stuff like that. Right. Is it is it the is it just like, you know, is it like everybody thinks, hey, this is exciting. I rang the bell, man, I've made it. Or is it like, you know, you've suddenly realized as an entrepreneur, now the business really starts. Oh, yeah, definitely the latter. I mean, well, I don't want to say now it really starts because we've been working for a decade. Yeah. Some progress, but I'm under no illusion that this is success. You know, this is a master. Right. We're still a relatively young, you know, relatively small for a public company. Yeah. Um, and we're still, we're, we're making a lot of progress in digitalizing um, the freight industry, but still, you know, 99% of the industry is still offline. So, even though we're which proud. is amazing, that is that is amazing to me, Zvi. Is that right? Is that right? Ninety nine percent of the industry is still offline. Is that like shippers or yeah. like the conglomeration of carriers and capacity? Well, in, almost in any sector you look. Let's say the area where we've made the most progress is airline bookings. So um, that's really been our best performer. Airline um, electronic bookings yeah. airlines have grown a hundred x since uh, in the last two years on on our platform. Freight also owns a platform called Web Cargo, which connects the thousands of forwarders to, to dozens of airlines and it's by far the biggest electronic um, booking platform for aircraft. Yeah, yeah, let's do that, Zvi. Let's back up just a second and oh, let's let's do that. Give everybody the elevator pitch on Freitos because I was just so excited to talk to you about ringing the bell and what you guys are doing there that I forget that the audience doesn't have the exact same knowledge that you and I do. <laughs> sure, yeah. So please. Um, yeah, you know, Freitos is um, the digital platform for international freight. So, um as you know, um, international freight is uh, international trade. Global trade is a huge part of the world economy. Ninety percent of the products that we uh, buy in the, in the U.S. or in the West are, are imported. Um, you know, I'm seeing all the nice things behind you there. I'm sure most of those uh, musical. I think the only thing that's not imported there is my Telecaster right here. That is an American Telecaster. Okay. Okay. Nice. <laughs> uh, you know, your equipment, your clothes, your computer that you're on, they're all imported. So sure. it's a huge part of the world economy. And, and of course, what makes import possible is um, international shipping, um, ocean, air, uh, to some extent, rail and truck, but, but the, the long haul is mostly ocean and air. Um, and it's just an industry that got forgotten in the, in the 20th century. You know, it, it's, um, by far, um, almost, almost all bookings are done manually. It can take two or three days, even today, uh, to get a price quote. Price quotes are normally non-binding. You know, so there's always an asterisk uh, subject to rate increase. The transit time is just an estimate. It's not, nothing's binding. So, um, yep. so think of us, if you, if you have to sum it up in one sentence, like booking.com for, for, for goods, you know, for, for uh, international shipping. So just like passenger travel became much, much easier and cheaper and more transparent, about 25 years ago, 
when um, when electronic uh, booking came on. So we're doing the same for freight, just making it uh, digital, instant, transparent. Um, so so let me ask you th- let me ask you this for the people that are watching this, right? So because I'm importing. Um, um, machinery, et cetera, from South Africa. And we can get into that some other, some other day for what I'm doing at OPT, at Ocean Plastic Technologies. Can I rely, can I go to Freitos and coordinate that? Um, and it's a much easier process than what I'm doing right now, dealing with a forwarder in Durban, South Africa, and people here and going through all that type of stuff and waiting three days and then Hey, your shipment's booked on this vessel. Well, wait a minute. It got rolled for five more days or whatever it happens to be. And maybe it's going to be a 28-day transit, but now it's 45 and that type of stuff. Uh, well, to some extent, yes. Uh, there, there's no miracle cures. And, and we're not a freight forwarder, so we're not going to ship your goods from South Africa. Got you. Um, but we will. You can go to freightos.com and see who are the different providers who can ship it from uh, South Africa. Uh, you can see their reputation like we're used to in other industries. You can see uh, reviews from other customers. Ah. You can see actual data for what the real tra- the real transit, not what they say their transit time is, but what it's been historically. Okay. You can see an instant binding price. I, I bet you you were back and forth a bit till they gave you a price. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, even after everything's said and done, you go back and forth a little bit. And then it's still all these other... right? They'll tell you afterwards, oh, there was a price increase. So I don't, um, I don't think there's a single shipping contract uh, in, in my life that is actually finaled <laughs> yet. It's just we've agreed that for now it's okay. <laughs> so, so, yes, so we can solve a lot of those problems. You can get an instant price quote from multiple vendors. Um, you can see real data on their performance. Uh, the price is binding, with some exceptions if the weight changes, but in reasonable cases, the price is binding. Yeah. And you can track and trace your shipment um, on our site. So we can give you a much better experience. It doesn't mean it's perfect. There can still be delays um, or, or issues, but by giving you instant prices, instant choice, and real data about real transit times and real customer service, we can, uh, we can definitely make that much, much smoother. Yeah, no, it's beautiful because if I've got suppliers and and coordinating goods and production lines and all this other kind of stuff, I need to know if something's traveling faster. Thank God if it is. But sometimes that doesn't help my production team if things arrive too fast, obviously. And, you know, is it on time or not? I can adjust my schedules, my shipping, um, other orders, et cetera, and coordinate it so that I have the most efficient running supply chain and, I guess, in transit inventory as well, right? Yeah. Now, the other half of what we do um, are a subsidiary, web, which is called Web Cargo. Um, so Web Cargo is then, help, is then helping the freight forwarder to book with the carriers in an instant, transparent way. Um, and particularly in air, that's what I referenced earlier, that's now got very big scale. We do thousands of bookings a day where the forwarders book with the, with the airlines completely electronically. With Ocean, it's just getting started. Um, uh, but even, even in air, where um, we're by far the biggest digital platform and it's grown incredibly fast, it's still between one and two percent, um, and still you've got you wow. know ninety eight, ninety nine percent of air bookings are still being booked by phone and email by human beings. But That's the good thing, with, at least with the air cargo, is it's growing so fast. You you just have to draw the line a couple of years forward, and and it will all be electronic. Uh, um, and why why, do you, why would Zvi? What what is your opinion on why that is? Why is one adopting it much so much faster than the other? Um. Look, I think uh, a couple of reasons. First of all, air cargo is a is a is an urgent product. Yeah. So if you're if you're shipping your stuff by ocean, it's going to take whatever it's going to take thirty days. 
if you yeah. waste a day or two on getting a price quote, yes, it's annoying, but still, it's it's a day or two. You know, for thirty days, it's not a huge difference in the end to the overall experience. It's just annoying. Um, but if you're paying top dollar to to ship something by air and you want it to take you know three to five days, and then you waste two days just getting the price quote and placing the booking, then that's insane. So air just being an urgent product, the, the digitalization is even more important. Another factor is that the air market is somehow more competitive and the ocean market is sort of dominated by the top five carriers. The top ocean liner has more than 20% market share. The top airline, which is Qatar Airways, is more like 6%. Wow. So it's gotcha. more fragmented and more competitive. That might be an aspect. Let me give you a, let me give you a fun fact. In 1999, I started what we considered to be the first um, expedited and guaranteed ocean shipping service. We ran uh, overnight guaranteed delivery to the Bahamas from Riviera Beach, Florida. Nice, nice. <laughs> I wish uh, I wish more ocean carriers had copied your example. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was with Tropical Shipping at the time. I ran the container freight stations for a number of years there throughout the throughout the actually throughout the Caribbean and uh, Caribbean. Yeah, well, that and, was an important innovation, which is still all too rare. Um, Twenty years later. Well, yeah, well, you know that it, that that business was interesting because it was founded by a, a gentleman named uh, Rick Morell, who was uh, he owned a company called Birdsell construction in in the Bahamas. He, it was a Bahamian-owned company, Tropical Shipping at the time. And uh, he grew up in the islands. And he, so he built the whole company around the fact that he was the lifeline for those islands, right? If the United States sneezes, the Caribbean gets the flu, right? Type of thing. Uh, and so he built it very much like that. But hey, you know what? I saw you on Fox News and heard the talks at Manifest and, and, and so on, talking about the future supply chain and where we're at now and how we got to this, this particular point. And I want to kind of have that conversation, but if you don't mind, from a little bit of a different perspective than most people take this, right? The show and what I'm trying to do here is I've got 35 years in logistics, right? And now my, my big passion is really sustainability. And from two different angles, if we could talk about it a bit, from sustainability in the sense of reliability of your supply chain, really, the core type of, of uh, value and benefits that Freitos brings to companies and, and shippers, importers, exporters, but also from the um, perspective of how can you impact the green or environmental side of sustainability in your supply chains? Um, and how does the movement of the world and everybody else towards sustainability, how is that going to impact supply chains, whether it's from where you're sourcing or how it moves, that type of stuff. But of course, you know, uh, from a from a perspective of how does the services of Freitos and how would those impact those and even other services, whatever. But that's that's kind of the the, the, the that's the theme that I'd like to go for, if that's if that's fine with you. Sure. Yeah. I mean, sustainability is a huge issue um, for the world, obviously, and for our industry. Um the OECD estimates that uh, freight is responsible for two gigatons of uh, CO2 emissions a year, two billion uh, tons. Mm, um, yeah. And worse, they estimate that by 2050, that's something that's going to quadruple to um, eight gigatons. Um, so, so freight Which is, is amazing. I mean, that, that is amazing. I mean, I'm, I'm going after plastic. I mean, not going after plastics, but we, we, solving the logistics problems for recycling plastics, right? Yeah. To make it easier yeah. and better and that type of stuff. And the estimate there is that it'll hit 50 gigatons by 2050. Oh, the whole Can plastic industry? 
plastic yeah, from yeah. from the production all the way through its life cycle into you know because you're talking about incineration afterwards right yeah, you don't yeah, burn yeah, ships yeah, when they're yeah. done right <laughs> so yeah. their carbon footprint is really the operation and the construction thereof right right well and yeah the the operation the fuel the bunker that they burn and yeah. 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 No, but it's so it's a bit, you know, this industry is a big emitter, maybe not as big as plastics based on what you're saying, but it's still a, a big emitter. And it's, um, there's some untractable problems, you know, I mean, um, road, uh, the, the cars are going to becoming electrified at a, at a reasonable pace. Um, ships can't really be electrified because, um, you know, they're, they're, they're on the ocean for weeks. And there's no stops to, to stop and recharge batteries. So you can't, at least you can't, you know, batteries for ships are not practical. And batteries for planes are not practical because they're too heavy. You know, planes are very, very sensitive to weight because they've got to float in the yeah. air. So there's some intractable, some of the solutions that are working on the road are, are not really suitable for air or ocean for, for different reasons. Yeah, it's a bit of a different problem, isn't it? I mean, we've got to look for alternative fuels. I would guess solar. It, I mean, it just seems to me like you couldn't get the amperage up enough to power, you know, a 20,000 TEU Regina Maersk or something like that, right? No, you could, you're right. I don't, I don't think you could. <laughs> I don't think you could power a ship on solar panels, but you could use, yeah, you could use solar panels to do electrolysis and, and produce hydrogen and then, then, store the energy in hydrogen and then power your ship in hydrogen, you know, or a plane. Well, that's interesting. That's yes, very, because thing. yeah, there's been some advancements in some universities uh, out of Indonesia and also in China about electrolysis of seawater directly into hydrogen that have been quite promising, right? I mean, it's the, it's the power consumption and the greenness of the production of hydrogen that is the issue right now, right? Yeah, it's not... Right, so exactly. So you can't really generate green energy on the ship, but you can generate green energy somewhere else and then transfer it to the ship in either in the right. sustainable, um, you know, sort of um, hydrocarbon fuel or in hydrogen, uh, which is probably even better. Right, right. So let me let me ask you this. What, what was the, what was kind of, so you guys have been around for, I mean, many, many, right? Like, I mean, Nothing like 2010 or something like that. Is that right? Yeah, 2012. 2012. Okay. So I knew it was over a decade, right? So it's just over a decade. And so you, a lot has changed over a decade, right? So, I mean, in 2012, what was the catalyst that brought you into existence? And then what have you kind of seen as we move forward? And then obviously this like hockey stick of advancement or awareness that occurred starting in the, uh, the winter of 2020, which we all know what happened then, right? Um, you know, what, what has been lagging? What has been going on? Why the dragging of the feet to make the efficiencies happen in this particular part of logistics? I don't know, Michael. That's a great question. Um, <laughs> you've been in the industry longer than me, so I should ask you that question. Um, <laughs> I think I, uh, I think it's a lot like plastics. My, my personal opinion is because um, it's always been that way and there was nobody pushing it and no obvious uh, catalyst that said, wait a minute, this doesn't work anymore. We, we, that pandemic had to happen in order for us to have this really, really big kind of uh, acceptance and realization that we need to move this thing forward, right? Well, interestingly for us, you know, if I talk about air cargo again, where, where the digital revolution, you know, has significant momentum now, um, it actually happened before COVID. Um, yeah. We are very first, but... When I started in 2012, I didn't know it would take this long, but we got our very first API, in other words, electronic connection from an airline was Lufthansa in 2018. 
Oh, nice. Um, and then in 2019, we got IEG Group, which was best known for British Airways and Air France KLM. And then going into 2000, before anyone had heard of COVID, we had a pipeline of Etihad and a few others. So even before COVID, we knew that 2020 would be the year that we got critical mass of airlines to, to start. Oh, okay. you know, so that was happening anyway. Certainly COVID came and gave it extra an extra push. Um, but that was happening. 2020 was anyway going to be the year where electronic bookings um, took off, if, you, if you'll excuse the pun. So, um, but the question is, and I, I always sort of ask the airlines this, and I've never got an answer. Why 2020, uh, when take American Airlines, for example, who joined our platform in 2012, uh, 2022, uh, sorry. Um, do, do you know when they started some kind of electronic booking for passengers? It's a pop quiz question for you. Oh, wow. Pop quiz. Electronic oh. booking for um not web, just any kind of electronic. Any kind. Wow, any it kind was of uh, booking. It's got to be early, early nineties. I would guess probably. Nineteen sixty-three. Nineteen sixty-three. Nobody, everyone. Um, I, I ask it as a pop quiz question, not to catch you out, but because nobody would imagine that, right? Um, I had no, I had no clue. I had correct. No clue. Yeah, most people don't. Um, I didn't either, you know, until I looked it up. They, they started a system which is still around. It's now called, it was spun off, it's called Sabre. Um, Sabre's still around, and then it, there's a, the European... Um, well, that was kind of the death of the, uh, of the uh, travel agent, wasn't it? <laughs> well, so this was, you know, in those days it was still, for many, many years afterwards, you had, it had to be a travel agent. But in those yeah. days, if you were a travel agent with a big enough IBM mainframe in 1963, you could book a passenger electronically onto American <laughs> Airlines. And if you wanted yeah. a cargo this, onto... This wasn't big enough back then. No, yeah, you had to have a big uh, computer, but a uh, big mainframe. But um, if you wanted to book cargo electronically, then you had to wait till um, last year, 2022. You know, So th there was a, the industry lagged. There was a 60-year lag in a way bet between the digitization of passenger, at least the first basic. You, you waited. You couldn't, you couldn't digitally book freight on an airline until last year. Uh, on that particular airline, but till 2018, oh, okay. the very first, yeah. So till okay. 2018, Lufthansa was the very first. Uh, but but 2018. it only last 2018. Yeah. Wow. Only, it only started in the last five years, and it only got any kind of scale in the last two or three years. So it's very very new. But now it's going really fast. So finally, that's happening. Uh, why did it happen only in the the you know 2020s and not in the 1990s like passenger? I do not know. Well, wow, it's it's amazing. So why why do you think it was this realization? Because it seemed like you know it sat there, like you said, for almost fifty years, and then all of a sudden people started going boom, 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 boom. And and not to take away from your efforts, because you know people don't realize or don't know what they don't know until somebody tells them what they don't know, right? And they go, oh wow, you put the ham between the layers <laughs> of bread. I right. get it, right? And then it becomes an obvious thing. And to me, this is an ob one of those obvious things. What 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 do you attribute to it? Like all of a sudden. Boom! This is it, and it occurred before before COVID would have lit it on fire. Yeah, but um, that, you know, I mean, um, I mean, efficiencies are so obvious to me in my brain to have such an ability to do this. It would you would have thought somebody to come up with this surely um, earlier, right? Especially since they did it with passengers. Look, um, I think in airlines the problem is the passengers. The problem is that. 90% uh, of their revenue is, you know, roughly uh, is. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. The IT department is always focused on passengers. The legal department's always focused on passengers. The, sure. And cargo is sort of an afterthought. That that all changed during COVID. But um, I think that's part of the issue. But then again, Ocean, you know, Ocean Liners, who only do freight, 
Um, they've also been extremely sl slow to create any kind of API, any kind of electronic connection. So, yeah. so anyway, I don't spend too much time philosophizing about why it didn't happen. Finally, it's happening. <laughs> and put all over yeah. energy into moving yeah. forward, you know. You've got more important things to worry about, right, than, than why, let's see, why did uh, cargo become belly cargo in the air industry, but not hull cargo in the uh, cruise industry? That's a totally stupid and different conversation right there. Um, but so the potential for all this efficiency is, is, is huge, especially from a sustainability perspective. Uh, impact as well, right? The digitization yeah. of, of air cargo, right? I mean, the efficiency that you can pull out and get into your, like we said before, your traveling or in transit inventory, your production, your, your, I remember uh, talking about um, drivers breaking into the warehouses at uh, Chicago O'Hare up in, you know, in Bensonville, Illinois to, to get their, their cargo, right? Stealing their own cargo, Already. <laughs> which was um, insane. Yeah, so I mean, you know, air cargo is again a good example because um, outside of COVID, air cargo holds are on, on average fifty percent full. So you could, you know, you could ship twice as much cargo um, with almost the same carbon footprint. When you add more cargo to a aircraft, which is anyway flying, it has a very slight effect on the fuel because because the, the extra sure. weight, very slight. You know, basically the most of that fuel is being burnt anyway. So. Um, if you and this happened to passengers, by the way, when when passenger travel went online, the many of us remember this. The planes became fuller, sure, uh, and the carbon footprint per passenger actually went down uh, because they were better at you know filling the planes. Yeah, cube utilization was better, basically. Yeah, so, yeah, so you know, um, so the same can happen with cargo. The digital booking that you know Freitas is doing with Web Cargo or, or others uh, will help to utilize the the. The, the the you know um, capacity of the planes better and that that's good for sustainability for sure. So when you, when you look at the sustainability of it, so we're look we're talking about emissions there. Uh, so let's talk quickly about the sustainability as we talk about um, you know the the other than China shoring, if you will, right? Near shoring, uh, Indo Pacific shoring, whatever you want to call it. Are you seeing significant moves in that? Because, you know, there's obviously an effort and there was an effort and it started really with uh, in the United States. Anyways, it started with Trump and his 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 trade war that he started, which impacted the industry, the logistics and supply chain industry pretty greatly. People forget how crazy it was at the end of 2018 going into 2019 there for well, a little bit. Um, but uh, does, does so how does that impact? Suddenly, suddenly. Drove the uh, industry a little bit crazy with these these tariffs suddenly appearing and, and disappearing. Sure. Um, but the trade deficit with China did not reduce uh, during the Trump years. No, it certainly <laughs> didn't. So um, you know that was just yes a lot of um, disruption, but it didn't actually achieve the the stated goal in any way. Um, I, I I see an increase I, periodically. There's a big increase in talk about nearshoring and and you know um, sure domestic production. I'm not seeing that happening in any significant way, though. Yeah, yeah. No, there's a lot of talk about it. And you see a lot of reports of, oh, this industry is moving out of China. And now they're making it in Indonesia. And they're making it, uh, you know, where it has to be Vietnam, South Korea, Thailand, yeah, uh, etc. Yeah. But then you see the imports and what is going on from the US from China, and you, you don't see any real significant Correct. change. Correct. And also, if you know, if you're, if you're, I mean, some of the lower some of the low-tech stuff like garments have, have long ago moved to Bangladesh and other places, but it's still Asia, yeah. so we're still shipping it across the Pacific uh, to yeah. the West. Um, 
But yeah, I, you know, the, the, I mean, the in electronics, the supply chain is so deep in China. You you can set up um, a electronics assembly in the United States, but then you're going to ship all the components from from South China. <laughs> and I'm not sure if you save all that much in sustainability, you know. Yeah, solid point. That's a, <laughs> that's a, that's a solid point. And maybe I mean it's a delayed reaction. You can't just say boom and start manufacturing chips and shipping chips and manufacturing equipment and stuff like that and have it set up in a heartbeat, right? A, a ah, chip manufacturing. Here, I mean, this laptop here must have thousands of components and it's got sub-assemblies and sub-sub-assemblies and so there's a whole supply chain. I saw this for myself, you know, in my previous job I was man- manufacturing a managing an electronic company and we manufactured in Shenzhen and um, you, you drive up and down the road there and you've got you've got all the suppliers you know of all the the yeah motherboards and the chipsets and the plastic molds everything's there and we tried at one point because the labor got expensive we tried to move the assembly to to, to somewhere in Southeast Asia and we very quickly saw it wasn't going to save us anything because we have to bring all the components from China anyway so so yeah, I think, uh, you know, uh, global trade is here to stay pretty much. Yeah, it, it is. So, okay. So, I mean, and, and I get that. Um, and I, and I, I, I'm seeing the exact same, the exact same stuff in the, in the, in the data. When you dig and look for where is the actual impact, you really don't start to see much of it in reality. Um, what about the sustainability movement outside of the supply chain, right? So, uh, from legislation and and corporations, you know, you got EPR legislation that's going on, and all these, you know, Vision Twenty. Everybody's got a Vision Twenty Forty or Vision Twenty Fifty, and and getting rid of electric cars, etc. Um, that changes um, supply chains. Do you see that having an impact, or do you do you look towards that to kind of try and plan how's that's going? In other words, the ch- the haves and have nots are going to change, right, over the next. 15, 20 years because we're going to use different materials and source differently, et cetera. Do you see that having an impact and what should people really be kind of looking for? Look, I can tell you our, our view of freighters because we don't ship anything. We're, we're not a carrier. We're not, not a freight forwarder. We're, we're, a, we're right. a booking platform. So um, so our job we see is, is to prov- provide um, uh, transparency into car- particularly carbon footprint, which is the most you know urgent issue. So we do have a carbon footprint estimator and every time we uh, give you options of where you want to book whether it's an importer and exporter booking with a forwarder or a forwarder booking with an airline we give you the an estimate of the carbon footprint and um and that can help your reporting if you're obliged by the sec or by others to report on your carbon footprint we give you the data for that if you want to make a choice based on lower carbon footprint we give you the data for that as much as a carbon estimator can go there are some if you want we can go into it there are some Big question marks about how um, how um, to estimate carbon footprints. That that's a whole complicated topic. But yeah. we um, but we at least do our best to provide that transparency and let people factor that into their reporting or into their decision making um, if they like. Now, if you ask me, taking a step back, we're doing that because that's what the industry wants and it has some value. Yeah. Um, what would really what would really have an impact uh, would be a global carbon tax. That would be the real way to to reduce carbon emissions. Oh wow, uh, interesting. Yeah. And, and because because these allocation, it, it's too complicated to, in the end, when you give an importer two options and one's cheaper and one's got a lower carbon footprint, nine times out of ten, if not more, they take the cheaper one. Um, but if you if you actually factored it in with a carbon tax, then it would be the same. <laughs> the, the cheaper one would also be the one with a, with a lower carbon footprint because of the, yeah. the carbon tax. So Sweden has done that very effectively, by the way. Um, and I think that's the real way to deal with it. But in the meantime, yeah. what the industry wants is carbon 
footprint estimates, which we which we absolutely provide. Yeah, and then people have them for <clears throat> whatever reason it happens to be. I don't know, but I agree with you. I mean, it, it's still so new of a of a kind of a thought, as sophisticated as it is to to uh, calculate it. It still has its has its issues, and will still continue to develop as to what it actually is, right? I mean, there's there's all kinds of situations like that where people are trying to certify ocean-bound plastic versus ocean plastic versus this. And everybody's got, there is no law. There is no actual, uh, you know, homogenous way to calculate that. Everybody's got their own way to do it. And hopefully it stands up in a court of law against a greenwashing uh, lawsuit. <laughs> right. And that's really all it is, is manufacturers like, oh, okay, you're willing to sit up with your data, then I'll hire you to certify this stuff so you can go fight this stuff. And Well, the European the Union has created a standard for for kind of a standard, at least a, frame, a standard framework, let's say, right. for how to, how to estimate carbon emissions from freight. Um, there's still some question marks. It doesn't standardize everything, but it does give a standard framework. It creates some bizarre ironies as it happens. I, uh, interesting question. You know, is it more green to put your cargo on, a, on, a, on the you know, lower deck of a passenger plane or on a freighter plane? Hmm. So I would say it's far more efficient to put it on a passenger plane because that passenger plane is flying anyway. Um, it's flying, you know, the commercial reason why it flies is the passengers. If there's no cargo, it's going to fly anyway. Right. Um, and you're adding the cargo has very little impacts on the um, carbon footprint because that plane's flying anyway and just the extra weight, there's only a marginal impact. But a freighter is flying, you know, exclusively for freight. And if you weren't sending freight, then that plane would stay on the ground and save a lot of carbon. Um, so I think it's a lot greener if, if you have the choice to put your cargo on a passenger plane. Uh, but the European standard, the way it's worded, actually creates the opposite effect and, and gives you a much higher carbon footprint uh, if you put it on a passenger plane. No, what? Well, well, okay, I'll have to look into how that calculation is because that's very that, briefly if you're interested. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'd love to hear it because that that's the type of nugget that really keeps my mind awake at night. <laughs> Well, I, I think that this one is quite an interesting irony where, where the standard gets it wrong. So the, the European passenger plane fl flies. It's got, it's got 100 passengers and, it, and it's got a, you know, let's say it's got a 100 passengers and 10 tons of uh, cargo underneath. Okay. So, um, and it burns X amount of fuel. So the European Union says, okay, let's take all of that carbon emission from the flight and we need to allocate how much of it goes to passengers, how much of it goes to cargo. Um so they're going to say, well, okay, hundred. They're going to do it, but they say you do it by weight, not not by revenue or something, but by weight. Okay, so the hundred okay. passengers weigh, you know, maybe um, I don't know what's an average, um, you know, eighty kilo, let's say two hundred pounds, uh, right? So, um, so you've got um, you've got something like you know eight thousand kilos or, or twenty thousand pounds of passengers. They're actually okay. weighing their bodies, right? And and the cargo is ten tons. Um, or, okay. or twenty, what's that? Twenty-two thousand uh, pounds. Yeah, twenty-two thousand. Uh, the Americans, yeah. So, so the the, the um, it actually weighs more. So they will say, okay, most of the most of that emission is going on the um, cargo based on weight, and so the passengers get a free ride. Their footprint is much lower than it really. But if you ask the airline, why is the the flight flying? I mean, ninety-five percent of the revenue is the passengers. They're flying it for the for the passengers. Then they made an extra few bucks by putting something in the belly. Um, so commercially, that plane is flying. The reason they're burning all that fuel is for the passengers, primarily yeah. by far. 
but the European standard puts it all on the cargo. So the, so the passengers get a free ride with a, a much lower f- uh, footprint than they really have. And the cargo gets penalized uh, as if half of the fuel was being burned for the cargo. And therefore, it creates an irony where actually somebody who's looking at the uh, cargo emission will say, okay, let's, let's put my cargo on a, on a freighter plane. Um, and so where the whole thing is uh, full of freight, so the, the footprint per kilo is much less. Yeah. Um, but I, I yeah. think that's sort of a, a case where it's just an interesting example where they're actually driving. No, no it's me, it makes it makes total sense. And 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 I'm in my brain. I'm thinking to myself of of, a, of an issue that happened to me early in my career in less than truckload, um, and basically cutting out in in my uh, satellite terminals um, better than eighty percent of the dock hours at night because we're spending all this time and money moving freight and putting it onto a truck and packing them high and tight when we were reducing our, our number of trips by maybe 5%. Um, it, it wasn't saving us anything. It was actually cheaper. And had we been measuring carbon footprint in the 80s, <laughs> which we weren't, because <laughs> you could still smoke on an airplane, by the way, um, uh, you know, it, it would, the, far, the, the footprint of carbon would have been so much farther worse running all those dock hours with diesel-powered forklifts. Yes, diesel-powered forklifts right, right. Uh, than actually just running, you know, 10% more loads into Akron, Ohio, out of central Pennsylvania, et cetera. So, yeah, no, I get it. It's the same thing. It's what's the intention. You got to look at the intention of that flight. Was it created to move that cargo or was it moving anyways? And I agree with you. Yeah, the, yeah that's kind of... It's kind of screwed up. What is, just, uh, I know you got to go pretty quick here. Yeah. What's what's next for Freitos now that you rang the bell, my friend? What's the next brass ring? What's going on? Well, look, honestly, uh, mainly we have to scale what we've done. You know, we've got we've got yeah. Freitos.com where importers and exporters can compare prices and book. We've got Web Cargo where the freight forwarders can um, compare prices of the carriers and book. Uh, we're scaling also our payments. Uh, we're scaling our data business. So we we have the FBX index, the Freitos Baltic index is. The leading um, index, uh, like a like a Dow Jones index, you know, for shipping prices, and FAX, the Freightos Air Index, is um, becoming the leading index for air cargo prices. So we're the, the, our index business is growing, um, and it, other than that, it's really, you know, like I said, if we're still doing, we've digitized one percent, so just a hundred times more of the same, you know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you've got a, another ninety nine percent of that blue ocean to go grab, don't you? Exactly. Um, hey, congratulations on a success so far, and looking forward to watch you guys grow and grow and disrupt, or not disrupt, but re make the industry more efficient. And uh, next time I'm going uh, booking my next shipments from uh, South Africa, I'm, I'm I'm coming to you guys. I can't believe I haven't already, and I, sh- I should <laughs> have. I, I'm going to check it out and certainly use it. Zvfredos.com is that where they go? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Beautiful. Everybody check out Fredos.com. Svi, thank you so much. Hopefully we'll have you on again, my friends. This has been the Sustainiacs. Peace and love. Thanks. Thanks.